0: As a brief introduction, I may have shared this story at some point, but it had a um, profound impact on my life and my walk with Jesus and influences where we're going today. But I had an interaction with my son, Riley, when he was about six years old. He had been um, first, first week of school and he had a kid that was just kicking him in the back every time. It was just kindergarten, right? So he'd sit down on the mat <clears throat> and this kid would sit behind him and just kick him in the back. Um, all the time. So he came home two or three days and told me about that. And then he came home again on a day and he was in tears this time. And he's like, it's like, dad, man, this this kid just kicks me. He won't stop. Um, So I go, okay. Just like any of you guys would have done, I'm sure. Um, I I had the answer to that problem. And so I go, well, next time I kind of had him explain the classroom where the teacher was. And I'm like, well, next time he kicks you, just wait till the teacher turns around, jump up, kick him as hard as you can right there. And I showed him this spot and I'm like, you just give him a good kick and lean down in his face and go, don't kick me again, punk. Um, and then sit back down. Um, (laughs) that's not like a joke. That was like what I told him. Like, isn't that what you would have told your kids? (laughs) Like, all right, this is what you do. So I'm all right, son, you got it. Um, and I remember Riley, Riley looked at me and he goes, dad, I don't think that's what Jesus wants me to do. (laughs) And I was like, Oh shoot, man. Um, what do you do with that? What do you do with that when, when your kid gives you the standard that you've given him back to you? Uh, for me, it brings up this question of, of standards and lifestyle and consistency in who we are and how we live. Um, and that's, that's what we're talking about today. That's where we're going. We've been in a series about peace. We talked about the prince of peace, peace with God. Peace with each other, a heart at peace. Today is Peace Out 2014 because it's probably our last shot to talk about peace this year. Um, But also, also because we really truly believe that God's heart is at, or that God at his heart is a peacemaker and that God comes to bring peace. Um, God comes to bring peace at cost to himself and God calls us as his followers to bring peace into the world Uh, Peace is not only the outcome of God's action, but it's also the form of his action. So we asked this question, if you were president for a day, what would you do? And you guys were talking and talking and talking, Um, so obviously you had some great answers. Um, I asked this to my kids the other day as I was sitting around the table, um, because I was was writing some thoughts out on paper, and I asked them, hey, what would you guys do if you were president for a day? Uh, My oldest son, he said, well, I would change gas prices, um, and maybe send bad people to outer space. Uh, one of my girls said, well, nobody should have, to give ta- should have to give taxes and we should make mansions for homeless people. Um, and then my other girl, my youngest girl said, she was so excited too, the whole time the others were talking, she's going, me, me, pick me. Um, and then she goes, I w-, we're all like, what is it, what would you do? I would build a 100 houses made out of glass. Yeah, let's not make her in charge. Um, and then my little boy goes, I would make a penny, 25 cents, and 25 cents, a dollar. And we are all kind of like, hmm. So we've got oil subsidies, we've got government housing, we've got glass houses, um, and the biggest inflation that our world has ever seen. Um, So let's not make the Shackleford family president for a day or forever. Uh, But the real question behind this, um, some of you, when you hear this question, if you were president, if you could change something, you have an instant answer, and others are more like me, and you'd be like, I don't know. It's It's a hard question, but the real question behind it is a question of power, of control, of influence. It's this idea that if only I had this, or if only I was this, Then I would make better decisions than the people who have this or who are this. Let me tell you, the devil is a liar and a punk. And you can quote me on that. There's a lie that's been going on throughout human history that began in the garden in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, where the devil held out a temptation to, to our people, to our race, to mankind, and said, Take this and you will be like God. Take take this, and I believe that this is this this idea, this knowledge of good and evil. It's this idea that we take power for ourselves, that we um, take this, uh, this characteristic of God, the ability to judge between good and evil, that we take this upon ourselves and we become, um, uh, in essence, like God's judgment seat as we take this power that's offered. But the reality of this was that we, we're already like God. Um, above and different than all other creation, God said of people, let us make man in our own image, that, that he would be like me. And so we, we were already like God, and I really believe that we, when we took this, when we fell for this temptation, when our people, our kind, took this mantle of power, I think that we lost something critical to who we are and to our relationship with God. We were like God in the ways that God had created us to be like him. But this lie says that our assumptions of power, control, and rule are godly ways that lead to godly things. And we've accepted that version of power, often without questioning it. We crunch into the apple because it's red and juicy and it looks good on the outside, but on the inside it's full of worms and it's rotten and it only serves to harm us. Um, Let me make this more tangible, this if you were in charge for a day question. Uh, Most of you here would remember September 11th. A lot of you remember exactly where you were and what you're doing. Uh, If you're too young for that, then at least you've heard about it your entire life. Um, Take take 20 seconds, if you would, and remember that event and come up with an alternate response for me. How could we have responded to the events of September 11th? Um, Take just a minute. You can, if you're next to somebody, you can talk with them about it, but come up with an actual response. Um, don't just sit there waiting for the next thing. So how could we have responded to the events of September 11th? All right, I caught you guys. Um, Here's what we just proved, unless you guys are different than any other large group of people in this country. um, When I asked the question, how could we have responded to the events of November, or sorry, September 11th, what this whole room was full of was people thinking we, the people of the United States, How could we have responded politically or militarily or in any other way rather than we, the church? Am I right? Um, I mean, I know I am. I know that um, when you ask this question in a group of people, the answer that we all give, even though we're sitting here in church doing churchy things and talking about church and being churchy people, our minds instantly identify with ourselves as Americans, um, with, with we, the people of the United States rather than we, the church. What would our world look like if you could ask that question or any other question and our first response was we, the people of God? We, the largest group of people on the planet. We, the people of God, how could we have responded? What if we actually took this family of God church thing seriously? When God says that we've been born into a new family, not born of flesh and blood, but of spirit, How do things start to change for us? I have um, family in North Korea right now. And so when North Korea and Sony um, got in their conflict, like all of a sudden things in myself start to rise. And when tensions between other countries and my country happen and conflict happens, something within me happens as well because I have family in lots of countries of the world. Um, I have people who are missionaries in North Korea. I have people who are worshiping in church right now in North Korea and in Russia and in China and in Honduras. And I have people, members of my family, that are hungry, that are needy, that are thirsty. Members of my family that are stuck in conflicts, country between country. And when you start to think this way, when you start to take seriously that we've been born again into a family of God, the way that you feel and think and act towards other people groups just starts to change a little. I'm telling you, the devil is a liar and a punk, and he will continually distort the truth to wreck havoc and not peace. One of the primary ways he does this, I'm really convinced, he, he takes power, and he convinces us that power looks like force. And that that real power is to enforce something, to show up in force, and to enforce. And that it's all about strength and might, and best manifested um, through our physical force or strength, rather than the way that God chooses to manifest His power. So, your question: Who is president? or if you were president for a day, your, your answer, here's the next question for that. Who do you have to step on? Who gets stepped on in your scenario? Who gets stepped on to lower oil prices? Because that's something we could do. That's something our country could do, but there's always a cost to that. Who gets stepped on to, to build 100 glass houses? Um, somebody, there, there's always a cost. So in your scenario, who, who gets stepped on? Just, just think about that for a minute. Who paid the price? What was the cost? Here's the lie one more time, it's whispered throughout our world. Make peace through war. Take this mantle of power, you deserve it. You'll be like God, make peace through war. Stand up for yourself and fight to get peace. But when we look at the person of Jesus, the guy who said, I and the, and the Father am one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The guy who his, his followers wrote about him, He is the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1.13, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being in Hebrews 1.13. When we look at that guy, when we look at Jesus, we see a commitment to peace through peace at all costs. Let me be clear. Me and everybody here at K2, we believe that Jesus is God. We believe that his coming to this little Middle Eastern town was the most significant event in human history um, and we believe that the, the time period around his life and death were, were truly changing for our entire world. Um, not just the world he lived in, not just the world we live in, but, but for this entire world. And if we believe that, then in Christmas is the revealing of God's heart for his people. What does that say about who Jesus is? He was born in an unclear relationship, a scandalous relationship. He was snatched out of his bed. He was on the run as a kid. Um, As a child, probably up until about three years old, he was on the run from people that wanted to kill him. He was a teacher who washed the feet of his students. He was a man who who was chased and persecuted and sought down, Um, throughout his entire three-year ministry, and he finally was a person who went to the death on a cross, voluntarily, willingly, on purpose. It kind of blows my mind, because we all know people who plan their kids out really well, and they're like, I'm going to have this many kids, and I'm going to have them on this day, and in this month, and we're going to have two boys and two girls, and then you guys know people like me that are just like, how did this happen? Like, (laughs) I have figured that out now, Um, but, but when God planned Jesus, like, I am absolutely convinced that he planned when God entered our world as a baby, like, He did that because that was the best way he could have done it. That was the way he chose to best reveal himself. There's a lot of other ways God could have came to our world. I mean, really, if I asked that question, you guys could give me 100 answers, and they'd all be good, and really, they'd probably all be better in our minds than a baby. Um, There's a lot of ways God could have came, but he came like this. There's a lot of ways that God could have saved his people, but he saved like this. What kind of God does that? Who does that? Who plans to start a revolution and a kingdom this way? I am so convinced that this is who God is at the core of his being. I am so convinced, and I've been on this journey now for about 10 years, of just kind of realigning my thoughts with the picture that the Bible gives us of God and going, can this really be true? What would happen if we really believed that the baby best represented God? at that moment, and that the man dying on a cross for his enemies best revealed the heart of God, that Jesus is actually the exact image of the invisible God. Philippians 2.6 talks about Jesus like this, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so God came as a baby, and there's power here, but it's not the kind of power we're used to. It's not the kind of power we think of. Um, when my son was first born, Riley, he was just days old, uh, maybe a couple weeks. I was walking down this gravel road in, a, in the country, um, and I had this really odd thing happen. I'm just walking down this road. I was actually heading to my parents' house, and I had my newborn baby, and I always carried him, you know, I just carried him in one little arm, such a little bitty thing. And so we're walking down the road, and this dump truck comes by. And you know those dudes that look like they probably pour, like, beer in their Cheerios for breakfast? Um, yeah, this guy looked like that. Like, so he had this giant beard that looked like he was saving most of those Cheerios in it. Um, big, messy overalls. This dump truck comes steaming by, and I remember the little baby's like... Because um, they don't like dump trucks um, when they drive by. So anyway, this dump truck comes by, and the guy stopped. Um, and he got out of the truck, and I thought, oh no, he wants to eat my baby. Um, <clears throat> but I didn't run, uh, because I'm pretty brave. So, so I just kept walking, and this guy got up there. Um, I mean, just literally parked his truck on the side of the road and came over, and he goes, hey, can I see your baby? And I felt like going, You want to eat it, don't you know? Um, But I didn't. um, Because somewhere I didn't think he really wanted to eat it. So I was like, Well, yeah. And I kind of held it out. But I was prepared to run, um, just so you know. I I had made my exit strategy. Um, And these guys started talking and talking and talking and talking until finally I'm like, I got to go, man so happy for you and your grandson. I just, I hope that works out really well. Um, This guy, just like something happened when he saw this baby and he was reminded of his grandson who lived far away and he just wanted to come talk to me about his grandson. And if you've had a baby, you've seen that happen. You've seen every person that has a grandkid come to you and just start talking about their grandkid and touching your baby. And I had a person put their thumb in my baby's mouth one time. like, dude, I don't put my thumb in your mouth. Like, that's just weird. Um, but, but it does, it makes you think, because there's something about a baby um, that's powerful, but it's not the kind of power that we think of when we think of power. I love to take newborn babies and set them down on like the edge of a table or something. Um, moms don't like this so much, but they really, they won't fall off, like they can't even move. They're just like, whoosh, you know, and there they are. And they can squirt and wiggle a little bit, but they don't go anywhere. And you can put them on the table, and if you didn't come and feed them and take care of them, they would die there because they can't even fall off the table because they're so innocent and there's something so helpless and so needy and so profoundly powerful. But again, it's a different kind of power. And so God came as a baby. We didn't want that because it ain't natural. It's, It's not natural for us to think of a God coming as a baby. And so we rejected, even though the entire Old Testament sounds like a similar picture of God, Um, Look at the book of Hosea. Look at this God who comes as somebody who is hurt and wounded and rejected and scorned again and again and again and again and continually turns back with a heart full of forgiveness. When we think of Jesus, we don't think of consistency often. Uh, But that's one of the words that has really struck me in, I guess, recent years as I've looked at this picture of this guy. Um, People were continually shocked by him, and I think more than anything else, they were shocked by his consistency. I I get the sense that there's this group of people around him going, like, come on, he's got to lose the act eventually. Um, As as person after person came up to him, um, you know, and he continually and consistently treated people with this love and this grace and this forgiveness. You know, you can see the disciples in a little huddle going, oh, this one, just wait. Jesus is gonna really get this guy. And Jesus walks up and goes, hey, we're having dinner at your house. Do you have room for us? And they're like, what? Um, you, you get this picture. I wonder even if, if some of these guys didn't set him up sometimes. You think all these people just like happened into his path? Like, don't you think those disciples, once in a while, went and recruited some people and were like, hey, let's, let's see how Jesus does with this woman. Um, But he was so consistently self-sacrificing and loving. It's amazing to me. The, The word amazed is used 38 times in reference to Jesus, and almost every time it has to do with an interaction that he is having with people, with his grace and his love and his heart towards people. I think the best way to sum this up for me has become Jesus went to the cross every day. Jesus went to the cross every day. What happened on the cross, I no longer believe. I don't think this was an a inov- inov- uh, inevitable or tragic ending. I don't think this is one big moment in history. I think this is the result of Jesus' chosen lifestyle, of a guy that says, I am gonna die for my enemies every day, every minute, and I'm never going to grasp the mantle of power that the world offers, but instead, I'm gonna die to my enemies and live out what the power of God looks like every consistent word was leading him closer and closer to the cross sometimes in our minds i think we get this picture of, of jesus going to the cross to to make peace with god and peace for us and peace for our world as this thing where, where jesus tricked everybody and his enemies said ha we got you and jesus said ha no you didn't i win uh, but it wasn't like that like jesus died on the cross he died there And his enemies were like, ha, we got you. And Jesus didn't win. Uh, He he lost. There's nobody that can look at what happened on Calvary and go, oh yeah, Jesus won. Um, Unless you can see far down the road, unless you can start to see what God was really up to, unless you can see the heartbeat of God. Because Jesus didn't win on that cross. Jesus died and was put to death. And yet Paul says there's a great power in that. A great power in the cross. God lost to win, and this is so different from our natural way of thinking, but what if we actually believe this? What if, church, what if, seriously, what if we believe this? What if we believe that winning in the kingdom of God, the economy of God, this place where things are reversed so often, what if winning looked a little more like losing and dying and suffering and sacrificing? When we say, Quote, the cross was fulfilled prophecy where God's desire to forgive sin and his demand for justice was met. When we say things like that, we're saying something that's true and biblical. But I want to be careful not to ignore the lifestyle that led up to the outcome of the cross. Jesus isn't the only one who died for other people. There were lots of people who've done that throughout human history. He's not even the only one who sacrificed his life on behalf of somebody else. Uh, But he is the only person I've ever even heard of that lived an entire lifestyle of sacrifice. Not, again, not one big moment, not one grand second in history, but an entire life that inevitably led to the cross, led to his, his death for people. God lost to win. In God's scenario, God was the one who got stepped on. When the world said, God, we're a mess, and God said, you're a mess, and God said, I'm going to do something to change this, God was the one who got stepped on. Peace has a cost, and in God's story, it looks like a cross. Power that undermines the curse and makes peace looks like the cross. Do you know in the entire New Testament, I find this really fascinating, there's only one place that we're called to imitate Jesus, um, every, every book of the New Testament talks about imitating Jesus, about following Jesus, um, about going in the way of Jesus. But there's only one one, play, one way that it talks about that, and that's right here. That's the suffering, the idea of suffering and dying, of sacrificing. That's the concept of the cross, and it's found in every book of the New Testament. I find it really incredible. I think John Yoder is the one that I first read this in um, he wrote a great book, The Politics of Jesus. He's a German guy. Definitely worth picking up if you're interested at all in, um, in what the cross actually meant. Um, Politics of Jesus, as John Yoder. Um, but he was talking about how, how Jesus did all these other things. Jesus was all these other things. Um, and it, it's pretty fascinating. He was a carpenter but you don't see any bands of people running around going, oh, we all need to carry hammers and tape measures, we all need to be carpenters, because Jesus was a carpenter. Um, He was a rabbi, but you don't see people saying, no, 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 everybody, if you wanna follow Jesus, you have to be a teacher, a rabbi. Uh, He was a great prayer, um, and while that's certainly part of the Christian life, like, that's not what we build, you know, you just don't see that in the New Testament, that, you, you know, the Lord's prayer isn't even repeated? That big prayer in the Bible, it's not even repeated once in the New Testament, in the letters. Um, Jesus was into worship. Jesus was into all these all these things. Um, he taught, he he did all these things yet there's only one way that the bible tells us to follow him and that's this call to live out the cross consistently even in suffering and especially in suffering and it's no wonder they call us to live that way because that's how the people that followed jesus lived and that's how jesus himself lived jesus in matthew sixteen twenty four said to his disciples if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me And as a side note, taking up your cross doesn't mean you have a sickness or you have a kid that's sick or you have a heavy burden at work and you can just say it's my cross to bear. Like taking up your cross means dying for your enemies. In this context that Jesus says it, he's he's being about as clear as he can and saying if anyone wants to follow me, they follow me in this. And I I just ask church, are we doing this? Are we personally following Jesus to the cross? Are we suffering and dying and putting our rights to the side to follow the way of Jesus, to be peacemakers, to step into this role that God himself owns because it's in his heart? Are we following Jesus to the cross? So here's Jesus, the most consistent man to live, consistently choosing a way of love for others, putting himself in the role of the servant. From the first temptation in the wilderness where the devil says to Jesus here, take this. Take this power, this control, this influence and use it to change the world. Take this and use it to bring about good and Jesus says, no, thank you, I choose the cross. To all those people, all those times in the Bible that were trying to make Jesus king and said, hey Jesus, take this, we will follow you and Jesus says, no, no, I choose the cross. It is my way. It's who I am. Even in the very last days when Jesus stands before Pilate, Pilate gave him an opportunity and a way out and says, hey man, take this. Here, here's, a, here's a gentle, authoritative way out. And Jesus says, no, no, I choose the cross because it's who I am. You later see his disciples following him in this and it's crazy, Paul says this, he says, You, however, you know my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, suffering. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, so, so that's Paul. That's, I don't know if you remember much about Paul. That's the guy who was, he was radically against the early church and the Christians. He was persecuting people and putting them to death. His very call, there was a guy who spoke to another guy named Ananias. Um, so Ananias heard from God in a vision, the very call to go tell Saul or Paul to go to this guy and say, like, hey, God, God wants to use you. God is for you. God is with you. Um, so the Lord shows up to Ananias in this vision, and he says this about Paul. But the Lord said to Ananias in Acts 9, 15, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now maybe I'm missing something here, but if, if, if somebody says to me, hey, this guy already hates Christians, but I want you to be the one to go tell him how much he's gonna suffer for my name. Um, I wouldn't be very excited about that call. I, uh, yeah, I mean, call me crazy, but that isn't a really good evangelism tactic. Um, but that was the call of Christ on all these people. That was it over and over and over again. And these people found life, and they found it so abundantly in the person of Jesus that before long, you start reading stuff like this. Acts 5, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. You start to wonder what's wrong with these guys because they go out and they're, they're beaten. They're physically beaten and they come back and they're so excited they can hardly stand, stand still because they have been counted worthy to suffer for the name. When's the last time I suffered for Jesus? And I was like, yes! I love it. These guys discovered life that held a power that our world has has not known. Um, Years back now, I was with a kid one time and his name was Timmy. And I was a counselor at this stage of my life. Um, and about uh, about two months before um, going out with Timmy, he was about nine years old. Um, about two months before that, I had been jumped really violently in this really violent area of Lynchburg, um, Virginia, where I lived by about eight guys with bottles. I mean, a full, like a really full good mugging. Um, and I got out of there relatively okay, I suppose. Um, but that experience, if you've ever had violence done to you, um, it, it'll do something in your, in your heart and it'll do something to the people around you. And all of a sudden you're putting up the kind of walls that you hadn't had before. Um, and so I'd had this extreme violence done to me and I found that a couple months after that, um, I mean, if I think about it, if I sit here and really recall the situation, like I can still feel it a little bit. I can feel the anxiety and the tension that I would feel when I'd walk those same streets and see these same groups of guys. So about two months after that, I was walking in this area of town that I shouldn't have been in, just me and this little boy, Timmy, um, and these three dudes start coming down a path. And they were pretty far away um, from me, but I wasn't just gonna turn around. Uh, But I saw them and... I just instantly knew, like, these guys mean me harm. Um, So I felt some of that feeling of, like, that tension starting to arise. Um, And we got a little closer, and I said to Timmy, hey, man, when we get to these guys, I'm going to give you a little push, and I want you to get to the car and just wait for me. Um, And so I'm watching these guys, and I would already decided, like, man, we are going to be, there's going to be a brawl. Um, So the guy in the middle, I was, I mean, I had it all worked out. I was going to push Timmy, and I was going to swing into this guy's head and follow Timmy out. Um, So we're getting there, we're getting closer to the guys, and I was getting a little more nervous, and like, all right, here it comes. And these guys actually, like, they all three had bottles, just like the guys that jumped me. They actually spread out. So you got one, two, three, and they're carrying their bottles by their neck, and the kind of the lead guy had a big um, pit bull with them on a chain. So they're walking, and I'm just like, oh, this is a bad situation getting worse. Um, So I told Timmy again, like, all right, man, 10 seconds, I'm going to push you, you get to the car, Um, just go wait for me there. So we're getting up to these guys, right? And I'm like, Timmy, you ready? Three, two, and I give him a little push. And Timmy um, dives out, he runs about three steps and then he stops. And he goes, hi, I'm Timmy, can I pet your dog? And he just starts like petting this dog and hugging this thing. And I'm like, what do you do now? Like, do I still punch the guy in the face? I'm like, And then Timmy, I remember, and Timmy's just petting his dog and these two guys, these three guys are just like, what do they do now? And then he sticks his hand out and he's like, hi, I'm Timmy, hi, I'm Timmy, hi, I'm, and he just kept going and going. And finally, the one guy was like, well, hi, I'm Kevin. Um, (laughs) Well, that kind of changed the situation. So there I am walking up to these guys and I'm like, well, hi, I'm Eli. You know, and we shook hands and we chatted a little bit and we continued on our way. And I saw a power, I saw a power in a nine-year-old boy that was more than I could have had. I I mean, I could have totally misinterpreted the situation, but I don't think so. I saw a nine-year-old boy, the power of innocence and humility and sacrifice and openness disarm three full-grown men in a way that I probably couldn't have done while punching them in the head. (laughs) Um, And so it's been the start of a journey for me, um, gosh I was 11 years ago, of just seriously asking and questioning the person of God and then questioning my own heart and saying what would change if I truly believed that God's power is best manifested in a baby in a manger in a kid on the run in a teacher washing feet in a man on a tree what would change you see i don't think we see this in our world i I think we see it in small places and in small pockets and you guys probably all have a story just like mine um i'm sure because you guys probably put yourself in those situations as well So we we see it in small ways and we see it in small pockets, but what would happen, church, if the entire church, if the people of God said, you know what? We're gonna lay down our rights. We're gonna die to ourselves and we're gonna follow Jesus in the way of the cross and we're gonna be a people who die and sacrifice and suffer for his name and we're gonna be excited about that. Jesus consistently and faithfully lived out what it means to serve other people. It's fascinating to me. He wasn't a moral guardian. You don't see him like casting judgment on people for their lifestyle. He had this openness and this vulnerability and this humility. Who, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. This is the great reversal. And the passage begins like this. Philippians 2, 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This is how we know what love is. 1 John 3:16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Cross theology which brings peace. It's a way of life for the people of God. It's a way of life and it's a radically different way of life than our world sees. It's sacrificial love and it looks beautiful, like smiles on the street, like hope to the hopeless, like food to the hungry, like shelter to the needy. Like cross to the enemies. It's, it's so different than the way our world says that we should take and handle power. Here, take this, use it for good. And Jesus says, no, 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 because that's not who I am. The one with all the power in the entire world could have done anything at all that he wanted, could have showed up in any way. He said, this is the best way to reveal my heart. So I've said a lot here. Um, as, we, as we go into worship, I want to leave us with just this one thought um, This actually comes from my wife as well. She is always having us do exercises that will help take our family or us to the next level in some way. Um, And last year, she said she wanted everybody in our family to come up with a word that would define the year. Um, One word that would really define the year. That would be a guide for us. That would be counsel for us. That would be um, sort of like a goal, but much simpler. Just, Just this one word. And so as we wrap up um, and we've talked about this, this power of God that looks so different than the power that the world offers, the power that we assume is power, this, this power of the cross that just looks like foolishness but holds something much deeper. Uh, maybe your one word would have something to do with that, some area of your life that that power could change, that, that you could step into a different role Maybe there's people in your life that have been stepped on as you've tried to change something. Maybe it's been a change for the good, maybe not, but maybe there's people who have been stepped on when we're the kind of people who follow Jesus, we are the ones who should be getting stepped on. Whatever it is, um, as we worship, would you guys just ask God to give you that word, that word that would really define the upcoming year as we say Peace out, 2014. Um, I'm gonna pray for us real quick. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your heart that is so good and gentle and gracious and humble. God, thank you for the way that you deemed best to reveal yourself. That is mind-blowing. God, I pray that uh, with all these words that have gone out today, God, I pray that you would be working in our hearts, that you would continually be reshaping our picture of you Um, God, refining our picture of you. Um, God, that we would actually believe that this is who you are and that things work the way you say they work. God, I lift up um, just really the rest of the morning to you as we worship together. In Jesus' name.